I waited patiently for the Lord. He inclined to me and heard my cry. He drew me up from the pit of destruction, out of the miry bog, and set my feet upon a rock, making my steps secure. He put a new song in my mouth, a song of praise to our God. Many will see and fear and put their trust in the Lord. Blessed is the man who makes the Lord his trust, who does not turn to the proud, to those who go astray after a lie. You have multiplied, O Lord my God, your wondrous deeds and your thoughts towards us. None can compare with you. I will proclaim and tell of them, yet they are more than can be told. Those are the first five verses of Psalm 40, which along with Psalm 54, the Psalms appointed for today, Friday, December the 17th, 2021. You're listening to Faith Seeking Understanding, and I'm your host, John Green. Thanks for being along today. I appreciate it very much. We are continuing our look in uh, the prophecy of Zechariah, chapter 7, verse 8, through chapter 8, verse 8. Also, continuing our look in the book of the Revelation, in chapter 5, verses 6 to 14, and then ultimately in the Gospel, according to Matthew, chapter 25, verses 14 to 30. So remember yesterday what we heard from Zechariah was is that the Lord was was going to rebuild the temple, and he was going to do so in the time of Zerubbabel the governor. So those who might have been discouraged at the sort of uh, pathetic-looking uh, foundation for the temple and realizing how much more work had to be done and how many people had done that work before, the people are discouraged about that. And so the Lord speaks to Zechariah and said, nope, it's going to be taken care of. Don't worry about it. And it's going to be built on the foundation of these two lampstands, the, the, the two lampstands and the two with the olive trees beside, on either one lampstand with olive trees on either side of it. And those olive trees, we are told, are the very word of God, the law and the prophets, uh, symbolized by Moses and Elijah. And so what we, what we got was the encouragement that this would be done in the time of Zerubbabel. So there's, it's not going to take an extremely long period of time, even though it looks overwhelming at the moment. And so now we're continuing with the uh, prophecy of Zechariah here. Uh, And the word of the Lord came to Zechariah, saying, Thus says the Lord of hosts, Render true judgments, show kindness and mercy to one another. Do not oppress the widow, the fatherless, the sojourner, or the poor. And let none of you devise evil against another in your heart. So love your neighbor, right? I mean, render true judgment, show kindness and mercy to one another. Don't oppress the widow, the fatherless, the sojourner, or the poor. In other words, those people who are vulnerable. Don't don't oppress those people, and let none of you devise evil against each other in your heart. I mean, it's just love your neighbor as yourself. And who's your neighbor? Well, it's anybody, right? The widow, the fatherless, the sojourner, or the poor. But they refused to pay attention and turned a stubborn shoulder and stopped their ears that they may not hear. So I'd already told them this. But then they wouldn't hear me, which is exactly the same thing that Stephen is going to say when, when he is put on trial for his proclamation of Jesus, that, that they turned, a, they turned a, a, their shoulder, they stiffened their neck and refused to, to do any of this, and they stopped their ears that they may not hear. And remember with Stephen, what they actually did literally was they put their fingers in their ears so they wouldn't hear it. They made their hearts diamond hard lest they should hear the law and the words that the Lord of hosts had sent by his Spirit through the former prophets. And, and remember, that's exactly what God promises the prophets. It's exactly what Isaiah has promised. It's exactly what Jeremiah has promised. It's exactly what Ezekiel has promised, and that is that having ears, they won't hear. They have stopped their ears and hardened their hearts against the word of the Lord, calling them to repent. And it's largely because they're, they're experiencing great prosperity in most of these cases. And so as long as they're prosperous and they feel safe, then they're not taking any thought for tomorrow, and they're not recognizing the reason they have all this 
is because of God himself. And they refuse to obey his commandments, the one who has given them all these things. And so he sends the prophets, but he tells the prophets in advance, they're not going to listen to you. So therefore great anger came upon came from the Lord of hosts. As I called, they would not hear, so they called, and I wouldn't hear, says the Lord of hosts. And I scattered them with a whirlwind among all the nations that they had not known. Thus the land they left was desolate, so that no one went to and fro, and the pleasant land was made desolate. Because of their sins... And it largely, according to Jeremiah, it had to do with their failure to give the land the Sabbath rests. So they refused to—they they continued to plant even in the Sabbath year and the Jubilee years. They didn't trust the Lord. They abused the land. It's not good for the land, obviously. Agricultural practices will tell you that it's bad for the land to constantly be in production— and the Lord laid down the statute for them, but it was laid down not as just an agricultural principle, although it's a good agricultural principle. It wasn't laid down for that reason. It was a matter of trusting him. In some ways, it was similar to not eating of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, it, because you, you have to do this thing. It doesn't seem good to me. It seems like, well, you're keeping something from me, the product, productive capacity of the land in that seventh year, and so I'm going to continue to do this because I like prosperity better than I like obedience. And then the word of the Lord of hosts came. Thus says the Lord of hosts, I'm jealous for Zion with great jealousy, and I'm jealous for her with great wrath. In other words, he's upset, which we've already been told, with the people who have held them in captivity and have multiplied judgment upon them and exceeded the limits God had set for that judgment. Thus says the Lord, I have returned to Zion and dwell in the midst of Jerusalem, and Jerusalem shall be called the faithful city and the mountain of the Lord of hosts, the holy mountain. Thus says the Lord of hosts, O men and O women shall again sit in the streets of Jerusalem, each with staff in hand because of great age. In other words, they're going to be blessed. They're going to be blessed through many generations and with long life. And the streets of the city will be full of boys and girls playing in its streets. And that's one of the measures in some ways of the, the viability and the, um, the blessing of God in a church, right, it is the, the presence of young people. And so that's exactly what he's saying, that the Jerusalem will be full of boys and girls playing in the streets. Thus says the Lord of hosts, if it's marvelous in the sight of the remnant of this people in those days, should it also be marvelous in my sight, declares the Lord of hosts? Thus says the Lord of hosts, behold, I will save my people from the east country and from the west country, and I'll bring them to dwell in the midst of Jerusalem. And they shall be my people, and I will be their God in faithfulness and righteousness. So God sees, sort of gives the vision for what he sees in Jerusalem. If his people love Jerusalem, how much more does he love it? Because it's his city. And so he, what he said is it's going to be a faithful city, and he will be their God in faithfulness and in righteousness. In other words, he's going to stay with them, but he's not going to compromise who he is. He's not going to compromise his righteousness in order to stay in that relationship with them. He is faithful to those even who have been unfaithful, and he is righteous even if his people are not righteous. But that's the point of, of his being, is faithfulness and righteousness. In the gospel today, Jesus is going to tell us a parable about what it's going to look like at the end. He said it'll be like a man going on a journey who called his servants and entrusted to them his property. To one he gave five talents, to another two, to another one, each according to his ability. In other words, the man looked and said, I think this one's capable of this, this one's capable of this, and this one's capable of this. There's no judgment in, in that. They, they each receive something. They, they're, they're each entrusted with something that belongs to the master. 
and they're given a stewardship and a trusteeship over it. In other words, they're, they're to shepherd that thing that they've been given well in order to provide a return to, to the one who gave it to them because he could invest it on his own. Then he went away. He had received the he who had received the five talents went at once and traded with them, and he made five talents more. So also he who had the two talents made two talents more. But he who had received the one talent went and dug in the ground and hid, the, hid his master's money. Now, after a long time, the master of those servants came and settled accounts with them. And he who had received the five talents came forward, bringing five talents more, saying, Master, you were delivered to me five talents. Here, I have made five talents more. And his master said to him, Well done, good and faithful servant. You've been faithful over a little. I'll set you over much. Enter into the joy of your master. And he also had the two talents came forward, saying, Master, you delivered to me two talents. Here, I've made two talents more. His master said to him, Well done, good and faithful servant. You've been faithful over a little. I'll set you over much. Enter into the joy of your master. In other words, come, come with me. Be a partner with me. You've proven yourself to be a productive and useful and good servant. You've, you've proven to me that you care about what I gave to you. Enter into the joy of your master. You're seeing something about the, the uh, sort of the character of this man, right? I mean, what does he do? He, enter, he, he offers them a step up and, they, and enter into the joy that he feels over what they've done. And then finally, he who had received the one talent came forward and said, Master, I knew you'd be a hard man, reaping where you didn't sow and gathering where you scattered no seed. So I was afraid and I went and I hid your talent in the ground. Here, have what's yours. But his master answered him, you wicked and slothful servants. You knew that I reap where I've not sown and gather where I scattered no seed. He's not saying, yes, that's who I am. He's saying, that's who you thought I am. That's who you think I am. And, and it reminds me, this little passage right here does, of the older brother in the parable of the prodigal son. The, the prodigal knew the character of his father. Because what he decided was is that, wait a minute, being a servant in my father's household is preferable to where I am now. My father's a much better man than this. And it, in some ways, it, you could say, well, in spite of the fact that he felt about him the way he did <laughs> in asking for the inheritance to start with. But then the older brother doesn't see the father in the same way. He, he sees him as a taskmaster. I did all the right things, but you didn't do all these things for me. And so that's what you hear from this servant. And, and the master's not necessarily agreeing with him. He says, this is what you knew, and this is what you did. This doesn't match that. What you did doesn't match what you thought. If you thought that truly, then you would have done something else. You would have given, you, you would have done something to give a return here. And, and then you ought to have invested my money with the bankers at least. And at my coming, I should have received what was mine with interest. So take the talent from him and give it to the one who has ten. For everyone who has more will be given, and he'll have an abundance. But from the one who has not, even what he has will be taken away. And cast this worthless servant into the outer darkness. In that place there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. I mean, it's obviously a, a parable of judgment and a parable that has to do with hell and the reality of punishment. And so that's exactly what Jesus says. And, and so we have a responsibility for what we've been given, right? And you, what have you been given? You've been given great things. You've been given salvation. And so what are you doing with that? How are you investing what you've been given, the treasure of the gospel, the treasure of the kingdom? What are you doing with what you've been given? Are you hiding it under a bushel basket? Do you keep it to yourself or, or do you give it away? It is, are you living out 
the ethical demands of the gospel to love your neighbor as yourself and to love God with all your heart, soul, strength, and mind. Are you doing those things? Those, those are the basics of what it means to be a Christian. And then we've got to unpack, okay, those are the basics. Now, how do they have an application today? What should I do today for my neighbor? What should I do for God? I mean, we know that we should worship him. We should get to know him, so we should pray. We should also be immersed in his word. And we should do all those things for the purpose of becoming more like Christ, who is the perfection of humanity. And so that's the call on our lives. And, and what Jesus is saying is you're going you're to be accountable for that for what you've done with it. And, and I worry now about the church because I worry that we are a 10-talent church. We have had money. We have had protection from the government. We've had um, tax, um, tax, not just tax protection, but tax um, benefits from the government. We, we, nobody has stopped us from preaching the gospel and speaking the truth, but what have we done with it? What is the return that we're prepared to give to him for all that he has given us with those freedoms? In the passage from Revelation, remember what had happened yesterday. One of the elders from around the throne said, look, the lion of the tribe of Judah who has conquered, and because of that, he can now take this scroll. So between the throne and the four living creatures and among the elders, I saw a lamb standing. Wait a minute, I thought he was looking for the lion of Judah as though it had been slain with seven horns and seven eyes, which are the seven spirits of God sent out into the, all the earth. And we've seen the seven spirits of God sent out into all the earth in multiple places already here in Revelation, but also we saw it in the lampstand in the prophecy from Zechariah 4. So we see this same image, and what does it mean that he has seven horns and seven eyes, which are the seven spirits of God sent out into all the earth? That means that this is all-knowing. It's not the all-knowing eye of our dollar bill, it's the the reality is is that God is keeping an eye on everything that's going on all the time, and, and those seven spirits are sent out to keep an eye on things, but also to bring the presence and the knowledge of God into the world. And so when he, the Lamb, had taken the scroll from the right hand of him who was seated on the throne, and when he had taken the scroll, the four living creatures and the 24 elders fell down before the Lamb, each holding a harp and golden bowls full of incense, which are the prayers of the saints. So these who have just been in chapter 4 worshiping the one seated on the throne now turn and fall down before the Lamb. And they sang a new song, Worthy are you to take the scroll and to open its seals, for you were slain, and by your blood ransomed people for God from every tribe and language and people and nation, and you have made them a kingdom and priests to our God, and they shall reign on the earth. So it's high praise sent to Jesus, which is an amazing thing, that there's worship going on and, and the ascribing of worth to this lamb looking like it was slain, but only after the one on the throne had obviously found him worthy by giving him the scroll and allowing him to take it from him. And so why is he worthy? Because he was slain and his blood ransomed people for God from every tribe, language, people, and nation in the world. And you have made them a kingdom and priests to our God. That's our job. That's exactly who we're supposed to be. We're a kingdom and priests to God. And they shall reign on the earth. They, us, we, 
shall reign on the earth. Then I looked and I heard around the throne and the living creatures and the elders the voice of many angels numbering myriads of myriads and thousands of thousands saying with a loud voice. I mean, this would scare you to death, right? I mean, you're accustomed by this point to the 24 elders and the four living creatures. And now we get myriads and myriads and thousands and thousands of angels saying with a loud voice, worthy is the lamb who was slain to receive power and wealth and wisdom and might and honor and glory and blessing. And I heard every creature in heaven and on earth and under the earth and in the sea and all that's in them saying to him who sits on the throne and to the Lamb, be blessing and honor and glory and might forever and ever. And the four living creatures said, Amen. And the elders fell down and worshiped. So there's worship in heaven that had been ascribed only to the one seated on the throne now is ascribed to the one seated on the throne and the Lamb. Is this blasphemy? Are we worshiping two gods? No. We're worshiping one God in two persons through the power of the third person, the Holy Spirit, for the work that was accomplished. We worshiped God in chapter 4 with the elders for what he has done in creation. We worship the Lamb now for the work that he's done in reconciling the creation to the God who created it. And now... After these things, judgment will begin on creation so that a new creation and a new people can be formed and raised up. But in the meantime, we're given the job and the responsibility to steward the gospel well, to steward it in all ways, to proclaim it in thought, word, and deed so that others might know the love of God towards those created in his image.